we're on our uh, second series, uh, or our second part of our series on the power of thanksgiving. So, you're in 2 Corinthians there. Just turn back a few pages to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. 57 is one of our text scriptures that we're looking at. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, let's read this out loud together. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. One more time. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you just turn the page... He, he makes a very uh, similar statement in 2 Corinthians 2.14. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. We see again in these two verses there's a connection between victory and triumph and thanksgiving. Uh, we've talked about how vic victory has a smell and defeat has a smell, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Victory has a, a good smell, uh, a sweet smell, and defeat and losing uh, stinks, just to put it plain. But God has not called us to be losers, and we're not losers. And unfortunately, the devil is able to convince many people, uh, they may not say it, but the devil has convinced many people in their mind, many Christians, that, that they're a loser, and they're not. Uh, and, it, but he, and there are many ways he would try to convince you that all is lost and to give up, and there's many ways he can do this. He will, he will dig a hole, and then he'll try to convince you to jump in it instead of him. So, uh, but as we know, if you read the back of the book, he is the loser, the biggest loser in all of human civilization, all of history. And uh, so when he tries to convince you that, that you're losing, you just turn him to the back of the book, amen, and just remind him about what is imminent. I mean, his time is getting short, too. He doesn't have as long as he used to have. So we are more than conquerors. You are victorious in Christ, and he always causes us to triumph in Christ. Now that, let's just clarify that briefly. That's providing that you're learning of God, you're being told of the Lord, and you're pursuing the Lord, okay? Provided that we're pursuing the Lord and we're being told of the Lord, he always causes us to triumph. But for those that are not pursuing the Lord and they're, they're not being taught of the Lord and they're not learning of God, they're, they're not triumphing so often. Amen? And it's pretty obvious to just look around us and see there are a lot of people not triumphing and not uh, enjoying victory. But we're, we're pursuing God. Amen? And we're, we're, uh, we're candidates to always 
to always triumph in Christ. Um, someone came up with this stupid saying in sports that says, um, it's not how you play, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. Well, that is hogwash. I mean, that, that's somebody that never played a sport, you know, or they never won at anything. If they really believe that, that is just, that's a terrible saying. Uh, and sometimes here you, you will hear, uh, you know, they'll interview these football managers uh, and they'll, they'll say, well, we, we got beat, but we really deserved to win. We, we were the better team and we, we really deserved to win today. Well, that doesn't count. I mean, how well they played, they may have been the best team on the field, but when that clock runs out, the scoreboard tells a story. And, it, and, and whoever's ahead when the score fin in the time runs out, that's who wins. And it's totally irrelevant who played the best on the field. So, uh, you know, I have won and I have lost, and I can tell you winning is better. <laughs> I, I once scored 50 points in a basketball game that we lost. And, and that was, you know, pretty hard to, to take. I think we got beat about six points. So winning stinks, you know. Even, losing stinks. Yeah, I mean, losing stinks. <laughs> Sorry, thanks for correcting me, Carol. Even when you score 50 points in a basketball game, it still kind of takes the, the drain out of you when you look at that scoreboard, you know. So, but for us as believers... Uh, we, we still win. The devil cannot get us. Amen. Because our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. At the end of the day, I don't care, uh, you know, uh, you know, look, we may have setbacks and we may have temporary setbacks, but, but we still win. At the end of the day, our names yeah. written in the Lamb's Book of Life after it's all said and done. And the reason we're here today is to learn to live a life of faith and follow God so we can do a lot of winning down here. Amen. Amen. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians are putting it off till they get to heaven. But, uh, you know, the devil wants to help them get to heaven a whole lot quicker than they ought to be going, too. You know, the devil will give them some help getting to heaven uh, quicker, than, quicker than later. Because he doesn't really matter... If you go to heaven or hell, he just wants you out of his way. And he wants you out of his sphere of activity and influence down here on the earth. Well, he's got a problem, amen, because we're, we're, we're uh, opposing him. We're resisting him. We're God's agents, ambassadors on this earth, on assignment from heaven, amen? And, and the Bible says... Uh, that Jesus has sit down at the right hand of God till his enemies are made his footstool. Amen? And he's waiting on us to make his enemies his footstool. Hallelujah. So we see Thanksgiving connected to victory and triumph. And we mentioned last time that obviously we give thanks after God has answered a prayer and after we've received the manifestation of what we've believed for and stood for but there's a lot more to thanksgiving than just giving thanks after god has answered our prayer uh you know and we're not just talking about having good manners 
and thanking God for answering our prayer. We, we also want to emphasize and focus on the fact that we're to give thanks before we see any manifestation of what we're believing for because this is a faith principle that connects you to the victory. And, that, and it's the thanksgiving before the victory that we really want to begin to focus in on here. Uh, giving thanks to God before the victory when nothing appears to be happening requires faith, and that connects you to the grace of God. Now, we talked last time about this question that, uh, you know, the Lord asked Keith, Keith Moore when he was in a time of prayer, and he said, would you like to know how to increase your capacity to receive from me? And obviously, he said, yes, you know, I didn't have to think about it, and I don't think any of us have to think about it either. And the, the answer the Lord gave him was, cultivate a lifestyle of thanksgiving. Cultivate a lifestyle of thanksgiving. And we've never really comprehended the power of thanksgiving and how it's connected to other things. And I'm trusting that as we go along, in this series, we're going to receive more revelation, and we're going to put it into practice. Uh, how many of you have already begun to put some of this into practice since the last time we were here? I have. Amen. I have too. I'm uh, getting up in the morning. Get your mouth in motion. Amen. Hallelujah. Now cultivate. That means you you plow up, doesn't it? Or you you stir. Up. you got to stir yourself up to do this. It's not just going to fall on you. Uh, you know, you got to stir yourself up. You may have to begin to just thank God by faith. But, but this is something that we do. Cultivate means something that we do. And lifestyle is not just church day. Lifestyle, is that's what we do all the time, isn't it? Lifestyle is not just two or three times a week for five minutes. This is 24 hours, just every time, you know, it, it, it comes to us during the day. I mean, we could thank God for five hours straight, like uh, Greg was saying the other day. I, I mean, you, you could spend hours thanking God and never cover the same thing twice. And even when you exhausted that, you could start all over, you know, the next day. Uh, we, we have so much to be thankful for. Now let's turn to Matthew 16. Matthew 16. Uh, verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I the Son of Man am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood 
hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Underline the word revealed there. This is revelation by the Holy Spirit that Peter has personally received that Jesus is the Christ. This is not something he has come to know by education or something that he was taught in a classroom. This is revelation by the Holy Spirit. Spirit, Holy Spirit to his spirit that this man right here that you're looking at is the Christ, the Son of the living God. This, this was revelation from the Holy Spirit. Now, in verse uh, 19, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged to his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. So Jesus was saying, you're, you're right, Peter. You've you got the, the revelation. You've, you've had a revelation here from God, but this is not the time to go tell it. Just keep a lid on it. Zip your mouth. There were times when, when Jesus said, go tell things, and he said, don't, don't tell it right now. Just keep a lid on it. So, so he said, don't go tell this right now. Now, verse um, 21 from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Now, Peter has, uh, Jesus, just back a, a few verses up here, Jesus has just commended Peter for having this revelation from the Holy Spirit that he is the Christ. And now Peter kind of feels like uh, he's in a position to correct Jesus and, and to rebuke him. He's, he's too bold and he's too forward. And now he's going to take it upon himself to, to correct Jesus. Uh, and, and Peter says, no, Jesus, this is not going to happen to you. Now, in the uh, contemporary English version, it says, Peter took Jesus aside and told him to stop talking like that. He said, God would never let this happen to you, Lord. In the easy-to-read version, it says, Peter took Jesus away from the other followers to talk to him alone. He began to criticize him. He said, God save you from those sufferings, Lord. That will never happen to you. Now, Jesus is beginning here to talk to his disciples about all these bad things that are going to happen to him. He's going to be tried in a phony trial. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be scourged, beaten, killed, crucified, and raised from the dead. And now Peter takes him aside privately 
and says, no, Jesus, this is not going to happen to you. Now, verse 23. But he turned, Jesus, and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Now, why did Jesus respond so forcefully to these words? Why did he take this so seriously? We, we know that, you know, there were occasions when Jesus took the Pharisees to task. I mean, he chewed them up one side and down the other, you know. Uh, but for him to get rough with his own disciples here is, is very uncommon and very unusual. It's rare for him to respond to his own disciples in this way. And Jesus wheeled around and he said, Satan, you get behind me. And he didn't say this privately. He said this where everybody out there could hear him. Now, Jesus is not calling Peter the devil, but the same Peter who just yielded to the Holy Spirit a few minutes ago is now yielding to the devil. Because when Peter said, Jesus these things are not going to happen to you. That's not the first time Jesus has heard those words. The devil has been working on Jesus' mind for months, bombarding his mind for months about these things that are going to happen to him. And, and bombarding his mind with the fact that you don't deserve this. You don't deserve to be treated this way. This is unfair. What's all this, what's the devil trying to get Jesus to do? He's trying to get him to feel sorry for himself. He wants him to become inwardly focused on him and this injustice and how he does not deserve this treatment and he didn't. Do you, do, you, do you think Jesus was capable of feeling sorry for himself? Yeah. Yes. Of course. Amen. Yes, Absolutely. Yes. He was a man. He was a man. He was God, but he was a man on this earth. And, and he was capable of getting into self-pity. And this is why he wheeled around to Peter and he spoke to him as if he was addressing Satan because he was addressing Satan. Satan had already been bombarding his mind. Jesus had already been combating these thoughts for months. Everything has been leading up to this point. And if the devil could get Jesus over into that area of his mind to start focusing on himself, to, to get into self-pity, to lose to, to lose track of you and me and to pull him out of the plan of God because in Jesus' humanity, he did not want to go through with this. 
Okay, in his humanity, he did not want to go through with this. And the devil is working on that side. Okay, he's working on that side. And, and he started back, you know, in Matthew 4, out in the wilderness. Yeah. It says he took him to a high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the earth and all their glory. And what did he say to him? He said, if you will just bow down and worship me, I will give all of this to you. <laughs> What's the devil trying to do? He's giving Jesus a way out of this. Can you see the temptation? Yes. That the temptation? You don't have to you don't have to go to that cross. You don't have to go through all that suffering. I'm giving you a way out. Come on, get 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 smart. Wise up here, you know? And and uh how did Jesus respond? It is written. It is written. You know, thou thou shalt not uh, you know, worship any other gods. Now, one translation says uh, in that account, the devil said to him, if you will just fall down and worship me one time, if you will just fall down and worship me one time, I will give you all, all of these kingdoms and all their glory. Just one little itsy bitsy time, it won't hurt. Nobody will know but me and you, you know. What a lie. What a lie. So the devil's already been working. The devil's already been working on him. And and the Bible says in Hebrews 4.15 that Jesus was a man. He was tempted in all ways like us, yet without sin. And, uh, you know, it, it's true. Jesus didn't deserve to be... Uh, this kind of treatment, to be mocked, to be scourged, to be crucified, to be made sin. I mean, nobody hates sin more than God. Nobody hates sin more than Jesus. I mean, if you can just think about the most vile sin and, and maybe somebody forcing you to do that or something against your will, it's just repulsive. And you can see how repulsive this whole thing of being made sin would be to Jesus. And going into hell and paying the price, uh, the penalty for sin, and being separated from God for the first time in all of eternity, you can see how his humanity was recalling at that, you know? Uh, and in the, in the Greek here, uh, verse 22, where... It, Peter said, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Uh, my cross-reference says, Pity thyself. Peter said, Pity thyself. What is, Pity yourself about what? All these things that are about to happen to him. Pity yourself about all these things that are about to happen to him. And if, if Jesus, you know, if, if uh, Satan could have gotten Jesus over into that area of his mind, and if he had begun to entertain these thoughts for one second, the devil could have pulled him down and gotten him not to go through with the plan of God and cut him off from the grace of God. 
just just think about something really tri trivial compared to this, but something you and I could identify with. What if you were, uh, you know, found uh, guilty in a court of something that you did not do, and you were sentenced to 10 years in prison, and you knew you were not guilty and you did not deserve to go prison, do you think you would be capable of feeling sorry for yourself? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Almost. Well, just magnify that about four billion times and put yourself in Jesus' shoes. And uh, verse 23 um, of the, the God's Word translation, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get out of my way, Satan. You are tempting me to sin. Well, what was the temptation to sin? The temptation to sin was not to go through with this. That was the temptation, to back out of it and not do the plan of God. Uh, in the, the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, you know, the whippings hadn't even begun. Nobody was, was hurting Jesus physically. He was just there by himself. But he was already beginning to sweat blood, wasn't he? No physical beating happening, nobody hurting him. Why was he sweating blood? Well, what did Jesus pray there? He Take said, be taken away from me. Yeah, Father, if there's any way I can get out of this, let's do it. But, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And right there, I think, is where Jesus won the victory. Amen? Mm -hmm. When he said, not my will, but your will be done. He was resisting the temptation to sin. And Jesus was tempted and pushed to the limits that any human could ever be tempted because in his humanity he did not want to go through with this. And here in Matthew 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples about these things at this point because now they're about to happen. It's, it's coming down to the wire here. And everything's been leading up to this, and these bad things are about to happen. And the devil has already been putting pressure on him before now, and it only got worse in the Garden of Gethsemane. And now, all these months, Jesus has been combating these thoughts of self-pity uh, in his mind, and now one of his own followers vocalizes it. And he thinks he's helping Jesus, you know. He thinks he's, he's helping Jesus and he's doing him a favor. But Jesus, uh, you know, wanted them to know we're not thinking about this. We're not talking about this. This is not of God. This, these thoughts are of the devil. And he wanted them to know in no uncertain terms that all this was designed by the devil to get Jesus not to do the will of God. Now, one of the worst things and one of the most dangerous things you or I can do is to feel sorry for ourselves. Can you feel sorry for yourself and be thankful at the same time? <laughs> not really, can we? 
And we talked about last time, there's really not a neutral zone between thankful and unthankful. You know, there's not really a place where we can say, well, I may not really be thankful, but then on the other hand, I'm not really unthankful either. There's really not a neutral place in between. Now, why would the devil care whether or not we feel sorry for ourselves? Why would he care if we're thankful or unthankful? Because if he can get us over into, into that arena, like Jesus, he'll drag us over and into self-pity. We open the door to him to bring in self-pity and to get us focused inwardly on us. Ephesians 4.27 says, Neither give place to the devil. When you catch yourself being unthankful or someone tries to tell you you're justified and feeling sorry for yourself, it's a danger to you. It, uh, in that uh, New Living Translation, of uh, verse 23, Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Well, if thoughts or self-pity are a dangerous trap to Jesus, do you think they're a dangerous mm -hmm. trap to us? Amen. Yes, hallelujah. So we're going to begin to recognize these, these things when, when we have that temptation to get over into self-pity. We're going to say, uh-uh, no you don't, devil. You're not coming in here. You're not talking to me about how I'm justified. You know, I have a right to feel this way and these people did me bad and all this. They may have done me bad. They may have, I may not have deserved what they did to me or what they said about me. But this is a whole lot more dangerous than what they did. So, so uh, we're going to say, uh-uh, we're not talking that way. We're not thinking that way. We're going to be on the lookout that these are a danger, a danger sign. There are different ways Satan can get you to give place to him. And one of the ways is to get you to be unthankful, to focus on yourself, the big I. He'll begin to, to, to bombard your mind just like he did Jesus. You have been so mistreated. You didn't deserve that. All you've, ever, all you've ever done is help people. Don't you know that's what he was saying to Jesus? Don't these people know who you are? I mean, uh, all you've ever done is help them. You don't deserve to be treated this way. This is unfair. Can you see that dangerous trap? And he'll say the same thing to you. And then if he can get you to swallow that, he'll say, nobody cares about you. And God doesn't care about you either. If he did, he wouldn't let you get in this shape. It, that, I'm telling you these lies. you got to close the door right here. you got to close the door right here. And that's exactly what Jesus did out there that day. When Peter vocalized the very things Jesus had already been hearing up here, I mean, he closed the door on it and said, we are not talking this way and we are not thinking this way. Those are danger. That's a danger to me. 
When you're going through a test and trial, you don't need somebody to sympathize with you and reinforce your self-pity. And unfortunately, there are some Christians that just go from group to group and meeting to meeting and counselor to counselor, just kind of telling their story and rehearsing what somebody did to them and how this is not fair and, and somebody will pour them a cup of tea and yeah, you're, you know, you're right. You, you didn't deserve this. And, and they just go down and down and down and down. You know, that's, a, that's the worst thing we can do. Immediately resist Satan. Give him no place. If you invite Satan to dinner, he will bring his pajamas. And I mean, it is hard. It is hard to get rid of him. Amen. I mean, you let you let him in. Yeah, he will bring his pajamas. It's hard to get rid of him, and that's why we give him no place. Your mind is where you have the first choice to give place to Satan or to resist him. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Amen? This is what Jesus did to Satan in the wilderness, the very first sign of tempting him with the way out. Jesus said, it is written, you know, thou shalt have no other gods uh, be before me. Jesus has been resisting Satan's trap to think about himself and not the plan of God. And this is why Jesus wheeled around and commanded Satan to leave. Now, this is a statement worth writing down. You don't stop faults with other faults. When these faults, any kind of thoughts, these imaginations, you know, Paul talks about these casting down these imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You don't stop thoughts just by thinking other thoughts. You gotta stop thoughts with words. That's why you gotta speak them out loud. And I, that's what Jesus did out there that day. He, he didn't just think, I shouldn't be thinking this. He, he vocalized, Satan, you get behind me with these thoughts. Amen. These thoughts of self-pity were a danger to him and they're a danger to you and me. He resisted the devil and refused to feel sorry for himself and to think about himself and what he did not deserve. Hallelujah. When he refused the temptation to self-pity and said, not my will, but your will be done, the grace of God came on him that got him through the suffering of the cross. That's, that's really... It was the grace of God that got him through all that, wasn't it? I mean, I mean, yes, Jesus had faith, but really, it, it was the grace of God. I mean, it would have killed any, you know, a lot of people never, wouldn't have even lived to get to the cross, you know? Uh, it, the grace of God got him through that. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. The grace of God got him through the garden. 
It got him through the beatings, the mockings, the crucifixion. And after all this, it was the grace of God that said on the cross, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Now that's, that's the grace of God, isn't it? Only, only by the grace of God could you say something. Could you make a statement like that? Now, being thankful connects you to the grace of God. The grace of God has made us righteous. It's the grace of God. By the grace of God, we're healed. The grace of God has made us rich. And for this, we are what? Thankful. Very, very thankful. Amen? Without the grace of God, there would be nothing for us to receive by faith. Righteousness is a gift. It's, a, it's the grace of God. Healing is a gift. It's the grace of God. Provision uh, is, is a grace of God. All these things, protection, long life, all these things, are without the grace of God, there would be nothing for us to believe for, would it? And to even use our faith for. Ephesians, uh, let's turn to Ephesians 2.8. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. Now James 4 tells us who gets grace. The humble, isn't it? The humble get grace and the proud get resisted. The humble get grace and the proud get resisted. The grace of God is the grace of God that gives us the victory. Isn't that what we read in our opening text? But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the grace of God. Now thanks be to God which always causes us to triumph. That's, that's the grace of God. It, it's, not, uh, it's not us. It's, it's the grace. It's a gift from God. Now, we go back to our phrase, our question. Would you like to know how to increase your capacity to receive from me? What would cause someone to be unthankful? Well, the fault, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be treated this way. Or, you could get out of that ditch, walk across the road, and get in the other ditch and say, you owe me. <laughs> now, that's the other ditch, isn't it? I deserve, I deserve this. You owe me. That, that's the other ditch. That would cause you not to be thankful, wouldn't it? Now, in terms of giftings and abilities that you have uh, in your life, things that come easy for you, skills that you have, uh, things that are easy for you that might be difficult for other people, 
Uh, you, you can all think of something in your life. It's easy for you as long as you can remember. It's just always been easy for you to do, do this thing. And um, other people might find it very challenging or, or just impossible to do. Those giftings and abilities are not really you. Those are giftings and graces from God. He is imparted into your life. And that's why in specific areas, something that's, that's always been easy for you, as long as you can remember, you've always been good at this. It's easy to think that it's just us. And that, and that you know, well, well, I was just born this way. Well, you were born this way, but God put it in you before you were born. And, and the fact that it's always been with us, it, it's easy for us to just take for granted that's just me. I, I can just do that, you know. But uh, that's not the case. Some, some giftings and abilities you were born with. Uh, some abilities were added to you when you were born again. Other giftings and graces were added to you when you were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, God gives us uh, certain graces and abilities and giftings to us at different stages in our life. But it all comes uh, from God. It's not us. It's not because we're just so amazing. It, they're all graces and giftings from God. And for these things, we should be thankful. Amen. Day and night. Would you like to receive more giftings and abilities and graces from God? Yeah. Amen. Yes. Hallelujah. What did he say do? Cultivate a lifestyle of thanksgiving. Amen. Hallelujah. When you're continually thanking God, it works something in you. And you're thanking God for all of these things that are from him, that all these other people out there are just taking for granted that it's them and they're just so amazing and so wonderful. Um, but because you acknowledge that these graces and abilities are from him, he is in a position to give you more because he knows you're not going to take the credit and the glory for it. You're going to give him the credit and the glory for it, and he can add more and more to you. Now, this is why a humble person is a thankful person. A humble person is a thankful person. They're not going to take all the credit and the glory for it themselves. They're going to acknowledge this is a gift of God. You know, uh, this, is, this is the grace of God. Uh, uh, didn't Paul say, uh, I labored more than, more than them all, but it was the grace of God, you know, the grace of God upon me. So, can you see how thanksgiving and grace are connected? When God knows that you're thankful and you're not going to take credit for all, all, uh, these gifts and abilities, he'll add more to you. Amen. Now, the, uh, the 
the Greek word charis is most often translated in the King James Version as grace or favor. That's how it's most often translated. But if you look it up in the concordance, uh, another uh, word that it is sometimes translated is thanks or thankful. Or thankful. Now, let's turn to Romans. This Greek word charis, grace, favor, or thankful. Now, let's turn over to Romans chapter 1. And let's look at the downside of being unthankful here for a minute. In verse, uh, Romans 1, verse 20. Says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. This is saying that creation, the natural physical world around us, is a witness that there is a God. That's what, that's what Paul is saying. Everything around us in nature and creation is talking to us about God. And over in 2 Peter 3, we're not going to turn over there, but Peter says... Uh, that those who deny that there's a God, and he, he says it in the context of creation, he says those who deny that there is a God, they are willingly ignorant. They are willingly ignorant. They aren't ignorant because they haven't had the opportunity to know. Creation itself is a witness that there is a God. Everything in creation that's beautiful and perfect and fun, we should look at it and say what? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. And that's just a natural response, isn't it? We, you know, you go out to the mountains and the lakes and the, you, you just, that you know that came from God. You know all this came out, out from the inside of God. And, it, and for a believer, it's just normal for us to say, Thank you, thank, thank you, Lord. And Isaiah talks about the mountains and the oceans and the dry land all being balanced in perfect symmetry. If the earth was closer to the sun, we would all burn up. If it was any further away, we would all freeze. Isn't this grace? I mean, grace didn't just create the earth. It sustains the earth. It's what keeps it spinning. It's what keeps the sun burning. You know, it's, it's what keeps us from freezing. The laws of motion and light and magnetic forces, uh, the laws of motion, continue to operate because of the grace of God. Now, in verse 21, 
it says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were what? Thankful. Neither were thankful. In other words, they were unthankful. When they knew God, they glorified him not, and they were still unthankful but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. I don't care how many degrees somebody has. I don't care how many empires they've built. I don't care how many record albums they've recorded. If they don't believe in God, the Bible says they are a fool. Amen? These people don't have enough sense to know that without God, they would not take their next breath. Why are they unthankful? Because they're not going to be thankful for something they don't even believe happened. If, if, if they can take God out of the equation and God didn't create all of this, there's no reason to be thankful or to give God any credit or glory. Unthankfulness has darkened their mind and they cannot even see God or understand Him. And in this state, they have cut themselves off from the grace of God they so desperately need. Amen? Mm. Everybody say, not me. Not me. I believe and I'm thankful. Hallelujah. This is why we have to stir ourselves up and cultivate it. So it, it's not just going to fall on us. we got to vocalize it. Now here in verse 21, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. This is saying, the more thankful, the more unthankful you become, the dumber you get. That's, that's what it amounts to. The more unthankful you become, the dumber you get. The less and less you understand as darkness comes on over your mind. In order to be thankful, these people would have to acknowledge that God did all of this. And it was a gift from God to man. They didn't earn it, and they didn't work for it. Now, turn over just a few pages to Romans 11, and we're about, we're about to finish up here. Romans 11, uh, 5, Even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Now that's a King James tongue twister, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But what that's saying is this. If, it's by, if something is by works, it cannot be by grace. And if it's by grace, it cannot be works. That's what it's saying in plain English. If you get something by working for it, and you earn it, and somebody owed you, is there any reason to be thankful? No. 
Not if, not if you earned it. Not if, they, not if it was a debt that they owed you. There's really no reason to be thankful. Are you seeing the connection between thanksgiving and grace? You'll hear someone say, uh, my Aunt Mary, the finest woman, you know, works hard in the church. I mean, she's there every time the door is open. She visits the sick. She takes people shopping. You know, she, she uh, does communion, she cleans the church, whatever is asked of her, the finest Christian lady, and I just don't understand why God won't heal her. Now what does all that have to do with God healing her? What does all of her good works have to do with meriting healing that implies that god that this lady has earned it doesn't it mm -hmm. it implies that all of her good works which are good but that's not the basis for healing is it now healing is a gift it's the grace of god and and people get confused about these things and so when you hear people say something like that tell them you know what does that have to do with getting healed? What the fact that your aunt is such a fine lady, she does she earn? Has she earned some kind of brownie enough brownie points for God to to heal her? No, it's 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 by grace. It's by grace, and if you earn something, God cannot extend grace to you. So we can see the connection between thanksgiving and its connection to the grace of God. Grace is a gift from God. Righteousness is a gift. Healing's a gift. Always having all sufficiency is a gift. If someone gives you a gift that you did not earn or deserve, what do you say? Thank you. Thank you. Amen. That's it. That's all you need to know. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Well, I'm telling you, we need to get up in the morning. We need to get our mouth in motion. Thank you, Lord, for the health in my body. Thank you, Lord, for the life in my mind. Thank you, Lord, you know, for the skills and the gifts you've given me. Thank you, Lord, I can see. I can talk. I can walk. I can work. I can play. You know, just go. Thank you for my family. Thank you for the word. Thank you for everything I'm believing for that I don't even see yet. All the things I've prayed and asked you for and I believed I received. Thank you for everything you've already done for me. Go down the list. All the good things he did for you yesterday and last year. That's a great way to spend a New Year's Eve. Is, is, is spend your New Year's Eve going down the list of all the good things that God did for you in 2014 or 15 just spend the evening writing down a whole list of all the prayers that god answered and all the wonderful things he did for you i've, I've done it a few times and it's a great way to spend a new year's eve hallelujah not of works lest any man should boast amen thank you thank you thank you hallelujah now let's stand and let's say this together. Hallelujah.
Was this helpful today? Yes. Absolutely. Praise God. Amen. I'm, I'm learning more. Praise God. I'm getting excited. Let's say this together. Thank you, Lord, for being so good to me. Thank you, Lord, for being so good to me. You've done so much. You've given me so much, and I am thankful. You've given me so much, and I'm thankful. I'm also thankful. I'm also thankful for everything you've already provided for me. For everything you've already provided for me. That I have not yet enjoyed. I am confident you will cause me. I am confident you will cause me to be completely fulfilled. And completely satisfied. And completely satisfied. Yes, you will do exceedingly abundantly. Yes, you will do exceedingly abundantly. Above everything. Everything I ever thought or desired or asked for. I ever thought or desired or asked for. It is coming to pass. It is coming to pass. It is surely coming to pass. It is surely coming to pass. I will not come short. I will not come short. I will not be left behind. I will not be left behind. I will not lack any good thing. I will not lack any good thing. But I will be perfect and entire. Wanting nothing, lacking nothing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.